Tonight's scripture reading comes from Matthew 27, verses 50 through 54. And before I read it, I want to make sure that we focus on just the severity of what's going on here, just how, just how severe our sins were that put Christ on the cross, and let's make sure we give it the proper respect. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Good evening. We're continuing our study of Proverbs and how it is full of application, real life application. What we're going to talk about tonight, I believe, has caused as much devastation in homes and families and the workplace as tornadoes or fires um, or floods. Because what we're going to study in the book of Proverbs really destroys relationships. And I hope as we go through this, some mental sirens will go off and that we can learn how serious this is. Solomon talks in the book of Proverbs about truth and honesty. And he has strong words about lying and being dishonest and deception and cheating. And he talks about their consequences So open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. I want you to follow along with me. We're going to start in Proverbs 11, verse 3. I'm not sure that we have the same commitment to small things as we do big things. And Solomon talks about the destruction that comes. Here's what he says in Proverbs 11, 3. The NIV says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. The New Living Translation renders that honesty guides good people, Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. Another version says people who can't be trusted are destroyed in their own dishonesty. Every version I looked up, I want to draw your attention to the word that's included, destroyed. Destroyed. And that word literally means a violent action against. When you don't walk in the truth, when you don't speak truth, it leads to destruction. It's a violent action against. It's against yourself. It's against the people in your world. I think some of you have felt that kind of destruction. Maybe others who have lied to you. You've been on the receiving end of that, or maybe you're the one who lied, and you felt the consequences. You've been caught up in the violent action against. And the reason why it causes so much destruction is because at its core, what it tears apart, what it destroys, is trust. And without trust, there is no relationship. When you start to ebb that away, everything's gone. The intimacy in a marriage is gone. It's it's impossible for us to have a a partnership in business because everything is built upon trust. And when you put dishonesty and lying in the mix, trust goes out the door. So Solomon warns that there's destruction that comes when there's dishonesty, when there's deceit. I think many of us know what he's talking about because we stood in the rubble we've lived it 
You felt that destruction. Have you caught your spouse seeing someone else or found a less than upright text message? Have you had a coworker who stabbed you in the back? Or a boss who promised you a position or a raise and then gave it to someone else? Or a good friend who said they would never tell, but they did? Or you did the work and you didn't get paid? Or you paid for the work and the work didn't get done? I think most of us could tell stories about the destruction that lies brings because once that trust is gone, it is so hard to get it back. That lying, the dishonesty, it destroys. So Solomon writes about this. The most surprising passage of Scripture, I put this on the screen, it's on your outline. I want to make sure you get this. And if you'd like to underline, I want to note two things in this passage. Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19. You're probably familiar with this proverb as much as any. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that quickly rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among the brothers. In this section that Solomon lists of all the things he says, six things God hates, seven that are detestable to him, Two of them, two of the seven, are about honesty or about lying. He says a lying tongue or a false witness who pours out lies. God detests this, hates this. Proverbs 12, verse 22 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in men who are truthful. Whenever you see detest in Scripture... What that means in the original language there makes you sick, nauseated. That's how God feels about it. And, and it kind of makes sense here because when you lack integrity, when you're, when you're living this way, when you're speaking this way, it's like the opposite of how proud you feel when your children are doing what's upright and they're honest. You feel good about that? They're walking in truth? But when they're not... It's like a kick in the gut. It's a sick feeling. Because you know the damage that it causes to them, to the people around them. I think God understands how important it is. And He wants us to understand how important it is. So as He inspired Solomon to write the book of Proverbs, there's a lot of real estate about this topic. About being honest. About not lying. It's a theme that's throughout the book. More than 30 verses deal with speaking about living truthfully. And it's the message I think all of us need to be reminded of. Maybe some more than others, but I think every one of us can learn from this because we live in a culture and a time where it's rare. Everyone cuts off a corner. It's not completely true. And we've come to expect that of everybody else, and sometimes we play along with it as well. Putting this together, I came across a New York Times article that states 91% of people confess they regularly don't tell the truth. 91%. 36% said they lie about important matters. 86% said they lie regularly to their parents. 75% lie regularly to their friends. 69% to their spouses. Makes you wonder if you can trust the survey, Right? I wonder if there's a question on there. Do you ever lie on surveys? I don't know if you can trust the numbers. 
the Institute of Behavior and Motivations, they said 97 out of 100 people lie on average three times a day in one way or another. Sociologists tell us that we hear or are exposed to 300 lies a day. Actually, it's only 200. See how easy that is? You just kind of change it. And we don't know what to believe. We're exposed to it everywhere. In our study of Proverbs tonight, what I want us to do is understand kind of a definition of lying. Maybe expand our definition of lying. Expand it to what, what Solomon would include as lying or being dishonest. Because sometimes we think of, well, I'm a truthful person because we're thinking about the big things. But Solomon kind of gets up in our grill and he reminds us to be honest even in the little things. So I want us to check our definition of a liar with how Solomon in the Bible would define a liar. So what I've got, if you're studying along with your, your uh, outline, four liars. At least four different kinds of liars. The first one could be called the flatterer. You know what this is, the flatterer, the person who tells you what you want to hear, even if it isn't true. And there's something about us we like the flatterer. It may not be true, but you still want to say what the person wants to hear, what, what, what tickles their ears. And maybe there's different motivations for this. Maybe it's a fear of disappointing them. Maybe it's an insecure heart where you're afraid to speak the truth to them. You're not sure if the relationship could handle it. Maybe you're not sure how they're going to feel about you if you spoke the truth. You're too worried about that. I was noticing this when Arthur said, it's interesting, the same people who flatter tend to be the same people who gossip. What do you think about that? Same people who flatter are the same people who gossip. He goes on to say, the same people who say things to your face to build you up can be the very ones who are saying things about you behind your back. They're good at talking. But it comes from the same type of heart, that insecure heart that promotes self. And we get caught up this, I think, in large part because it's how we do life. It's how you get the job. It's how you keep peace among your friends. and how you bring harmony in family. You just kind of cut it down a notch. And you're not completely truthful. It's how you get the girlfriend or the boyfriend. You flatter. But it's dangerous. It's dangerous because it gives people a false sense of who they are false sense of what's real. Solomon compares or parallels flattery with lying. Proverbs 26, verse 8. He writes here, A lying tongue hates those it hurts. But he goes on to say, And a flattering mouth works ruin. So he puts there in the same sentence there, a lying tongue and a flattering mouth, and it works ruin. See, flattery to us, sometimes we think of that as being well, it's not so harmful. I mean, it's, it's, you know, where's the damage of that, really? And it seems like a bit of an overstatement to say it works ruin. There's really much harm done when we do that to people. Solomon says it leads to destruction. He goes on, and we'll quote in a moment about it being a trap for their feet. I thought about this, and maybe you can tell me if this is right. I think about American Idol. You ever watch one of the opening shows for American Idol? It's been a while since I've watched it. But you remember the opening shows where the, the people are there and, and they've waited in line. Sometimes they've driven across several states or across country to, to be there to try out. And, and they're there, and so you're thinking, this is going to be good. And they open their mouths, and it is not good. And you're thinking, somebody should have told them. 
And you wonder, did for 21 years their mom and dad say, that's really good. And I wonder if their mom and dad are listening to them on TV thinking, we should have said something. Because now the whole world knows they're not good. Is that what flattery is? We're not telling them the truth? Here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs 29, verse 5. Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. Spreading a net for his feet. It's going to come back to bite you, we would say. Why do we tend to flatter people? Why do we do that? Think about that for a moment. I think we tend to say what people want to hear, even if it isn't true. We agree with them verbally, but we really disagree with them in our heart, in our mind, and maybe even say so differently behind their back. We don't like confrontation. So we take the path that is most comfortable. Don't say anything, at least not in front of them. We just smile and nod, and that's a type of flattery, I believe. We're faced with the truth and what's most comfortable. We tend to choose what's most comfortable. We don't want to have that hard conversation. So is it possible in your life that you do some flattering? It may not just be building people up with words. Maybe you're in a meeting and you disagree with what's being said, but you don't say a word. And the meeting's over, conversation's ended, and then you go tell other people that you disagree. But you didn't speak truth to that person in the meeting. Maybe when you're with a good friend and you hold back something about their lives, but then when you're with other friends, you talk about that. Is there something that you're holding on to because you have a difficult, don't want to have that difficult conversation? You want to avoid the confrontation. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, speak the truth in love. And we refuse to do this it just, it just chips away at that trust. It's part of that flattering. Well, our number two in the book of Proverbs, we can identify as the exaggerator. The exaggerator. Solomon again and again warns about being truthful, about big things and about little things. And this is one of those where we just kind of gloss over that one and, and, and allow people to do it and, and excuse it in ourselves. But think about why do we exaggerate? Exaggeration is the truth Essentially, it's just stretched a little bit. It's stretched just beyond the borders of truth. And that's really what we're doing, isn't it? The story's true. The statement's true. It's just stretched some. And so if you ask me if it's true, I could say, yeah, but not really how I've stretched it. But why do we do that? All kinds of reasons, I think. Maybe we want to have a more interesting story. So we embellish it a little bit. Maybe we want to get the attention. Maybe we want to promote ourselves. I think one of the things you'll find at the very heart of lying, of exaggeration, is selfishness. We've talked about this in previous lessons, how Solomon just drills down the very thing that Jesus later repeats, that it's, it's what's in the heart. What's coming out of the mouth is reflecting what's in the heart. So really it's a heart problem. And a selfish heart has a hard time telling the truth. So we exaggerate. We promote ourselves. We want to look good. But once you've got the reputation of exaggerating, it's hard to be trusted. Because just like the boy who cried wolf, 
Nobody knows when you haven't stretched the truth. Nobody knows where the truth ends and when the exaggeration begins. We've all had people like that in our lives, and maybe we can see it in others maybe quickly, more quickly than we can see it in ourselves. You know, you're in a situation, a conversation, there's always that one person that has the one-up you in the story, and you wonder, really? Is that the truth? Or maybe somebody tells a story that, that happened 30 years ago with amazing detail as if it just happened that morning. And midway through the story, you're thinking, really? You remember that exactly? We tend to let them slip, though, don't we? We chalk it up to exaggeration. Well, here's the problem. Once they do that, that becomes who they are. And again, the trust factor goes out the back door. Trust is gone. It's ever so subtle with these little things. But the little things become big things. If you read through the book of Proverbs, you're gonna, you get that overview as you, as you hear his words of wisdom. It's all about the little things because the little things become the big things. Here's another thought. One of the things that you can note about a person who struggles with exaggeration is they tend to talk a lot. Isn't that true? They tend to be talkers. They talk a lot. People who talk a lot tend to exaggerate. So I would say some of the best wisdom from Solomon when it comes to this is just be quiet. Some of us could cut our sin problem in half and we just learn to keep our mouth shut. Just think about that. Transform our spiritual life. Listen to Proverbs 10, 19 from the New Living Translation. Solomon says, Too much talk leads to sin, but be sensible and keep your mouth shut. I like that translation because it just says it. Keep your mouth shut. Sometimes that is the answer. Sometimes we talk too much. Sometimes we get talking and next thing you know we exaggerate. Next thing you know we have stretched the truth. We want to have something good to say. We want people to like our story. We want people to be impressed. It's interesting to me because the Greek word for exaggerate is also where we get our word resume. Yeah. Think about that one. I don't know if it's the your literal physical piece of paper resume or even the resume, the picture of who you are, who you present in your words, or maybe your image on social media, that you're exaggerating beyond who you really are, that tendency to exaggerate, to promote a better version of yourself, trying to impress people. We're always hearing stories about people who do this on their resume, and then you know, years later they've got a good coaching position or maybe an executive position, and the truth comes out. I was doing some work on this. I found a story from BBC. The headline caught my attention. It says, Bogus Oompa Loompa Admits Lying. I think of all the things I'd want to claim for myself would I want to tell somebody I was an Oompa Loompa in the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Evidently, there was like this four-foot-tall man in Nevada who lied to his, his small little group of friends uh, and, and said that he was in the show. Well, everybody believed that. You know, he was one of the original Oompa Loompas. I don't know if he had the blue-purple face or, or what it was. They, 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 they believed it. Well, about ten years into that, they did a story on him and discovered it wasn't true. 
the article said this. He, he was quoted, I never meant to harm anyone. It was a little white lie that became my haunting nightmare. He claimed to be a Oompa Loompa. But that's what happens, isn't it? Life has a way of catching up with us. Well, number three, lie number three in the book of Proverbs is the cheater. School, business, relationships, we've almost come to expect it, haven't we? Like it happens. It's not if, it's a matter of when. In every single arena, we almost see life through that kind of filter, that there's a little cheater in all of us. It's just a matter of when he's going to come out. Duke University did some uh, research on cheating and said in college and high school students, they, they said that 70% admit to cheating. 70%. Internet plagiarism has quadrupled in the last six years. May 2010, issue of Esquire magazine shared the results of an extensive survey. 10,000 women in America. 10,000. Average age was 27. These young women... 49% of 10,000 said their husband had had an affair, had cheated on them. In business, we're constantly reminded of business practices where people cheat. Seems like Dateline or 2020, all those news magazines, there's another story about some business and cutting some corner, false advertising. And we're not surprised by that. In fact, we almost have a healthy dose of skepticism, don't we? Is it really going to happen? Is my hotel room really going to match the pictures I saw online? Is that stuff really going to make my hair grow back? That wax, is it really not going to hurt when you rip it off? All these things. Nobody really loses 150 pounds eating Subway sandwiches three times a day, do they? Really? But we look around us and say, but if I'm going to do business, if I'm going to be competitive, if I'm going to keep my GPA, I've got to do it. Everybody else is doing it. It's kind of the, the world we live in. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are His delight. Another version says, God hates cheating in the marketplace. He loves it when business is above board. We do too. Proverbs 20, 23, a similar sentiment. The Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not please Him. <clears throat> but we get creative in our own minds with the ways we justify it. We call it standard business procedure. Everybody else at school is cheating. If I don't get called, then it doesn't really count. But the Bible tells us from cover to cover that God knows. And that's really all that matters, isn't it? God knows. Remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? The church is trying to take care of each other, and so you had this, this movement among these new Christians of selling their property and giving the proceeds to the church. Ananias and Sapphira got in on that, and they had some property, and they sold it, and agreed to sell it and, and give that money to the church. Which is a great thing. When you read the story there in chapter 5, you get the idea, though, that they sold it, and then they changed their mind and decided to only give a portion of it. And when he and Ananias brought that, you remember? Peter called him out because he was lying. God struck him dead. Verse 10 of that chapter, Sapphira comes in not knowing what had happened. 
Peter ask her point blank, did you really agree to sell your property for this amount of money? And she lied, boom. And you read about that, it scared people. It should scare people. See, it's not just Old Testament, it's New Testament because God's the same. He detests lying. Just be upright about it. They didn't have to sell the property. They could have given not even as much as they were given. But don't lie about it. Don't try to be something you're not. Don't exaggerate. Don't cheat. That's what was going on here. In the Proverbs, we see another liar. Number four, the promise breaker. And we don't think about this one, but I think we should. Proverbs 12, 22. The Lord delights in people whose words can be trusted. The English Standard Version says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. When you break a promise, do you think of that as lying? Because I think we should. And not just big promises, even little promises. I think I've... I think of this most, maybe I'm still the most guilty about this, when I did this to my children. Do you ever find yourself as a parent doing this to your children? You promise them something, but then the circumstances change. And so then you don't follow through because it's a different story, it's a different circumstance now. But that young child doesn't understand that change of circumstance. You promised, and then you don't follow through. You moved on because to you, you didn't lie. You didn't break a promise. It's just a different circumstance now. To that young one who's trying to learn relationally what it means to trust, you just knocked them on their backside. Because as an adult, that's a little thing. To us, it's little. To them, it's huge. I can remember to this day, Family vacation. I wanted this one thing at this little gift shop. And my dad promised us that we would come back through there on the way back and I could get it. Guess what? We didn't come back through there. I hate him. No, I don't hate him. He probably never thought anything else about it. I thought about it all the way home. Don't be sad for me. I just now remembered that. But you had him too. It happens. It's life. God wants us to be a promise keeper. But we find ways to justify different excuses that we can break our promises. I found some things this week, putting this together, that bothered me. NBC had a story about websites that exist to help people cheat on their spouses. I googled that. I'm going to confess that to see if it was really true. So if anybody does a Google history on my computer... Is research people. It's true. It happens. Four million people have signed up, help me cheat on my spouse. It was interesting though, the two busiest days of the year for the website, what would you guess? Two busiest days of the year for the website, the day after Father's Day, and the day after Valentine's Day. And as the story was, was re uh, recorded, a psychologist explained why that would be. Why the busiest days for people to be looking into getting help to cheat on their spouse would be the day after Father's Day and the day after Valentine's Day. He says, well, here's the reason. 
It's because on the day after Father's Day is the day men feel most unappreciated, undervalued, and most taken for granted. And you're ahead of me. The day after Valentine's Day is when women feel the most underappreciated, taken for granted, and undervalued. So we cheat. We lie. And we blame somebody else. If they'd just be there for me, then I wouldn't be doing this. If he was more romantic, then I wouldn't be tempted. If they kept their end of the bargain, then this wouldn't be a problem. So we write off our dishonesty because of someone else's problem. Their lack of integrity. Proverbs 11.20, the ESV says, Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord. Some versions say detest. But those of blameless ways are His delight. That's what I want us to take away. To think about lying can come in all sorts of forms. These are just four. I want to close with this. Just a few commitments. Two commitments. I want to challenge you to make. Make to yourself. Make them to the Lord. Number one, I'll tell the truth in the small things. I'll tell the truth even in the small things. Understand the connection between what we sometimes think is the insignificant and the significant. We think they're like this, but God says they're like this. So don't spend so much time trying to deem what's big and what's small, what's significant, what's not. Jesus said in Luke 16, the man who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. But he who's dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. And numerous studies show that to be true. I mean, we read the words of Jesus and we know it's true. We can open our eyes and see that it's true. Research tells us it's true. There are all kinds of connections that's been made about how we act in small things, unimportant situations, really reveal our character, our heart, and ultimately how we'd act in the big things. So be truthful in what seems small. Don't order water. And then go fill your cup up with Sprite. Don't lie about your, your kids or your grandkids' age just so you can save a, a few dollars. Don't take home uh, supplies from work to your house and say, well, they owe me. Or otherwise, make your own justification. Because how we handle the little things, how we handle the little things is really most reflective of who we are. Credibility can be diminished. Trust is eroded. Relationships are strained. Hearts get a little harder. And the web of our lives become even more tangled. So be truthful in little things. Make that commitment. Number two, say, I will tell the truth even when it costs me something. Because it does. So be ready for that. And make that commitment ahead of time, before the situation comes. Just commit to be that kind of person. I mentioned earlier, the number one reason why we lie is because at our heart, at our core, is selfishness. And telling the truth makes us uncomfortable. It's not easy. It takes courage. And sometimes we don't have the courage and we don't want to be uncomfortable. So make the commitment to tell the truth even when it costs you something. For young people, that means be... Make sure that you communicate with your parents. You know how just to tell enough that you're not lying. But it's not being truthful. Parents, I think we model this whole concept 
This is where they learn. And they know of our dishonesty better than anybody else on the planet. Because they see us in action. All kinds of ways. Even in the small things. If you choose to get married, and you don't have to, but if you choose to get married, you think about that long and hard because part of those words you say, those vows in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, they're not just words. It's a promise to be kept till you die. You don't have to get married, but if you choose to get married, make your words mean something. I studied through all this, and here's what hit me. As people who bear the name of God, we should look so different than everybody else in the world. Just by this. We keep our word. We're promise keepers. Even in the smallest details. If we say it, they're going to know it's true. Or at least we believe it to be true. We don't exaggerate. We're not stretching the truth beyond the boundaries where it becomes less than honest. We're a person of our word. In John 8, Jesus contrasts His language. You remember that context, that chapter? His language with the language of Satan. And He says there in John 8 that lying is Satan's tongue. And so when you're lying, you're speaking His language. Remember those words? And Jesus also explains that God is truth. That He's light. That, that there's no darkness in Him at all. That's the core of who He is. That's why trusting in God. See, it's not so much a lying issue or a dishonest issue. It's a trust issue. And that's why you can trust God. Because God always tells the truth. Always. That's the core of who He is. God says to Abraham, Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a baby. They know their past childbearing age. To them it's laughable, and they do laugh about it. It's crazy, it's absurd. Physically it's impossible. At just the right time, he puts his hand on her belly, and a baby is coming. God tells the truth always. God says to Noah, Noah, there's going to be a great flood. I want you to build a boat. He gets to work. Starts building this ark. Never heard of a boat. Never heard of an ark. Uses everything he's got to make it happen. His friends, his neighbors, they're making fun of him. And you know why? Because there's not a cloud in the sky. They never heard of a flood. But Noah trusts God. And just as he's finishing up, a drop falls in his face. God tells the truth always. God said to Moses, Moses, time has come. I've heard my people's cry. Go down and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses goes. And you know the story. Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh got a front row seat that God is a God who can be trusted. When He gives His Word, when He says that it's going to happen, the plagues come, the Red Sea opens, the Egyptians drown, the people are free. God tells the truth always. That's the invitation. He wants to know if you believe Him. Do you believe He told you the truth? 
He wants to know, do you trust Him with your eternal life? That's why confession is so important. You say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why in baptism, you submit. You, you know, I can't do it on my own. It's done to you. It's passive. You're washed clean. He makes you the new creation. But it goes back to trust. That's the truth. It's not popular. We're in the minority to believe that. This world is marching to its own beat. And you can get sucked into that rhythm and live life just like them. Or you can wear the name of God and just like Him, be that light in our world. Let's pray. God, thank You that You have spoken truth to us and that we can put our confidence in You in Your Word as our foundation. God, I pray now that You allow us to have ears to hear Your Word and to make an application to our life, whatever it is. God, we all had moments of dishonesty, of not being fully truthful to You, to others, maybe to ourselves. Father, help us to hear Your truth that Your Spirit is teaching us tonight. God, help us to hear and to believe and to know that you are God, the God who speaks the truth always. We want to be like you, to live the truth, to walk the truth, to, to speak the truth. Because that's when people will see that we're like you. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm going to sing a song to encourage you. If you'd like to have salvation through Jesus, tonight's the night. Or if we can pray for you, won't you come as we stand and sing?